0: when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. There are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the very word of God.
1: Well, good morning. Great to be with you this morning. Um, What a phenomenal introduction. Um, As you were speaking, Ben, I just was reminded of how I feel all of those same things about you. There is something very special about this brotherhood and uh, sisterhood, in particular in the Acts 29 church planning network, as you guys um, are also a part of, there is some Thing that the Lord has been doing and is continuing to do among this this network that is, I would describe it as sweet, um, and I have benefited so greatly from men like you Ben and so many others uh, being able to lean in in tough times and learn from one another. Uh, man, even this morning, just sitting in your your worship service, um, it just feels like home. So. It's great to be here. Thank you. Um, I want to uh, mention we have some very dear friends of ours here that uh, I just want to uh, honor just for a moment. John and Elizabeth Floyd. John was an elder with us at Mercy View, um, and and John and Elizabeth for many years served in our care and counseling ministries uh, at, at Mercy View, and uh, we couldn't love anybody any more than you guys. And uh, they're here in Oklahoma City now, and. Um uh, we're just so grateful that you're here this morning. Great to see you. And uh, <clears throat> and I'll just say one last thing. Um, this is important for you to know because what, what happens often when uh, you are you know like under the leadership of your own elders, you know, most of the time, and, 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 and our church, you know, we, we have to grow in this too, is like the people in the, the, the chairs, as they receive the ministry from the elders, you guys appreciate that, I know, but many times you, you just assume that the, the ministry that you're receiving is like what happens at every church, <laughs> um, and, and I'm just here to tell you it doesn't necessarily happen that way, and, um, and I can't speak for the other elders here at, at, at Crosstown, but I can speak for Ben, I believe, and say this. Ben uh, is the real deal. Man of integrity, uh, uh, my appreciation for Ben has only grown since we first met one another. We were talking uh, before the service. We met in the backyard of a house in St. Louis, Missouri, before either of us planted, I think, really. And uh, it's just so cool to see how our lives have been connected. But but Ben, to me, embodies what the heart of a pastor actually looks like just in the way he carries himself the way that he talks the way he talks about the church the way that he uh, thinks about the church um, he embodies that and uh, I'm telling you that because he's not going to get up here and tell you that right that would be weird but but I need to tell you that because um, my appreciation for Ben should also be yours and uh, just a faithful devoted trustworthy man Of God. And I would say this lastly absolutely has the strongest opinions about the new Major League Baseball rules than anyone I know. (laughs) And apparently, coffee mugs um, from this morning in our meeting before uh, the service. Um, All right. Well, uh, if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4 that you just heard read. you, if you're married here, I mean, if, if if you've been in any kind of relationship, honestly, a friendship, a parent to child, um, you have probably heard uh, this phrase. Uh, I know that you heard me, but you did, you're not listening to me, right? Like I know that you're 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 hearing the words that are coming out of my mouth, but you're not really taking them in. You're not really listening. Uh, to me. And um, the reason why that is often said is because the conditions of our heart are not in a place to listen well. We're just not good listeners. Can we admit that, right? A few years ago, our kids were doing an experiment with seeds. Um, they had gotten some seeds from the co op they were a part of and put them in the, you know, this science project in the egg cartons, right? and put them in the windowsill so that they could get the sun that they needed. Well, they needed water as well, and and just they needed attention overall. There were certain conditions that needed to be in place so that that those seeds could grow. Sadly, and many of these, this kind of science experiment goes this way, the seeds did not not take, all right, like they died. And so because the conditions of what the... needed to happen for the seeds to grow weren't in place. Unfortunately, what they wanted to see happen didn't happen. The seeds didn't take root, right? Now, in our spiritual lives, our hearts are a lot like the, the seeds in those egg cartons. God intends the seed of the Word of God or the gospel to get into our hearts, to change us and to transform us, to give us joy and freedom in him. But the conditions have to be right. So what are the wrong conditions? What are the right conditions? What role do you play in that? And What role does God play? Why does this matter? Um, as we look at Luke chapter 8, this morning, I want to invite you really just to see two things, and the first is this, where the seed of the gospel does not grow, like where the seed of the gospel does not grow, and secondly, and simply, where the seed of the gospel does grow, so a bit of context here in, in this, this chapter, um, we're, we're finding Jesus in the very heart of his public ministry, and, and Jesus, at this time in his earthly ministry, is immensely popular for a variety of reasons. On the one hand, there are some that are following him because they have been changed by the message of repentance and faith that he has been preaching. I want to believe that that's most of the people, actually, that are hanging out with Jesus and continuing to learn from him. But in that same crowd, some people are following Jesus... Because they're intrigued by him, but they're not ready to commit to him. They're watching sort of from afar and on the fringes. And you know this if you know the story of Jesus. Uh, some who are gathered around Jesus were people who saw Jesus as a rival. Like as an opponent, as, a, as competition at this time. These were typically religious leaders who were frustrated with the claims of Jesus, angry about the claims of Jesus, confused about the claims of Jesus, but it's a very diverse crowd. Now when people would gather around Jesus, one of the main things that he would do was teach them. In fact, a couple chapters before this, Jesus preached his most well-known sermon, the best sermon that's ever been preached. I heard... um, I was in a church gathering one time, and the guy gets up, and I, I thought, this is so bold. He said, I am going to preach for you the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. And I thought, oh, man, here we go. And he went on to just read the Sermon on the Mount from beginning to end. I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. But but the, the most well-known sermon that Jesus ever preached is two sermons before this, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, that was a very clear, like like, direct instructional sermon teaching us what it looks like to flourish in the Christian life. Jesus shot straight in the Sermon on the Mount. His teaching was crystal clear. But this wasn't the only way that Jesus taught. And in our passage today you may have caught it as as you heard the scripture read. We are finding another way that Jesus taught when the crowds gathered around him. In fact This particular passage, many believe, is the parable that explains all of the parables in a sense. But the crowds are gathered around Jesus here in Luke 8, and he is going to use something called a parable to teach them something about the seed of the gospel. Now, what is a parable? Well, parables are small stories with big meanings. The word parable actually is if you combine a couple of words in the original languages, you put them together, it means to throw alongside. Now, if you think of it that way, then, a parable is a story that is filled with word pictures, imagery, metaphors, thrown alongside a deep spiritual truth to teach us something in particular about the kingdom of God. Here's another way to think of the parables. Parables. Think of them as stories of abstraction for the purpose of location that leads us to conviction. This is what that means. Parables are stories with an abstract or a hidden message that ultimately are intended for you and me to ask this question of ourselves. Where do I find myself in this story? Where do I locate myself? In this story, and then based on that answer, asking another question: What do I need to repent of? Right, the conviction piece. What? What? Where do I fall short of God's ideal in this story? So, if you would look with me, beginning there in in in, in Luke chapter eight. In fact, verse five is where we're going to start. Here's how Jesus begins this parable. He says, "This a sower went out to sow his seed." And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. So we're going to see this theme throughout the parable this morning, but we have a a sower, we have seed, and some kind of surface or soil, right? In fact, this first surface where the seed falls, in a lot of ways really isn't even soil at all. Jesus calls it a path. Now in this time when this would have been written, a family would have been given a section of land to farm. And many of the farmers' plots of land would sort of butt right up next to one another. One, one farmer's plot was right up next to his neighbor's plot. And, and, and in order to get to the fields to, to work on them, the farmers would walk and, and, and work along the boundaries... That bordered those fields to avoid stepping on the plants, the crop. And these places where the farmers would walk would create a path. And these paths were held in common by all of the farmers. So you can imagine this. Over time, uh, those spaces would begin to become very compact. Um, These paths, because they would would be walked on over and over, would, would never need to be plowed or fertilized because the actual like material that the farmers were working with were so beaten down and baked like the sun, it was like concrete. Now, what I want to do as we walk through each of these surfaces or soils is go right to the place where Jesus, later in, in our passage, connects it to like what, what it actually means in the parable. So, so we're going to be jumping back and forth, so just sort of stay with me, but jump, if you would, to verse 12. Here's what Jesus says about this parable the ones along the path are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved so scenario one is this Jesus is saying that the gospel goes out the good news of what Jesus has done to bring forgiveness and salvation to those who believe and the heart says, no thank you. Or, maybe the seed lands for a moment, but it is snatched away, the, Jesus says, by the devil. So much so that they may not believe and be saved. This heart is never plowed by what we, in, in our kind of Christian circles, what we call conviction. It has never had an honest assessment of the hold that sin has on it and the devil goes after that. And the heart becomes calloused. Now don't miss this. There is nothing wrong with the seed. There is nothing wrong with the sower. But something is terribly wrong with the heart. There is a hard heart. There is a Resistant heart, there is an inaccessible heart. Now, look with me, if you would, back at verse 6. Here's what it says again. This is the second surface. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Now, in this scenario, the seed did not get into the ground because it was rocky soil. And because it was rocky soil, a plow, right, to till up the ground, uh, could only cut so far. Because once it would get a a certain depth, the, the plow would hit the shale or the rock that would keep it from going down to the depths. And you all know this. This is what didn't happen with the seeds and the egg cartons in our home. The roots have to go deep into the soil for the plant to take. Now jump down with me to verse 13. Here's where Jesus tells us what's happening here about this kind of soil. And he says this, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. Isn't that interesting? But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. Now, I I know what I'm about to say isn't very popular at all, right? But Jesus is talking about men and women who can point back to a a moment in time in their life, an event, and say, I said the prayer, I walked down the aisle, I professed my faith in Jesus. But as we look in on that person's life from the outside, there is no evidence of fruit, there is no evidence of regeneration, there is no evidence of conversion at all. They have not grown in their love for Jesus. They have not grown in their worship of Jesus. And this story is a story that a lot of people in Oklahoma have. They they may have seemed to have made a decision at some point in their life, but over the years their lives have not been transformed by the gospel. In fact, this says here, Jesus says that in the face of trouble... Like when suffering comes to them, they have turned away from the faith. Over the years in ministry in in Tulsa at Mercy View, we've been there, as as Ben shared with you, about 12 years. And I was thinking about this at some point over the last 24 hours. um, um, At the end of 2019, um, I had two people in my life at Mercy View... In fact, both of them were prospective church planters. I mean, that's what they aspired to. We were walking with them through that. Absolutely threw away their faith, walked away from the faith. They both had similar issues. It was uh, uh, moral failures that was a part of the, the, their story. But these were men who were, I was really close to, and they just walked away. And one of them... Almost felt like it was overnight. It was bizarre, and and they were it was so vibrant and promising, like what the future was looking like for them. You know, being a part of Acts twenty nine. Uh, our tagline is you know, we're a church planting church network, right? Once the church is planted, church planting is hard work. And I was like, probably a little prideful about this, thinking, man, we got two guys getting ready to do this thing. Heartbreaking. Two of them were um, headed down that road of, 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 of us being able to say, hey, these are daughter churches of ours. Um, and honestly, to this day, I don't know, I don't believe they're walking with the Lord. What was going on there? Like, what happened? And by the way, that was before COVID hit, and I saw more of that happen during and post kind of COVID stuff too within our own church as well. People just saying, yeah, this is not my thing anymore. Jesus is saying that that is a superficial heart, an insincere heart, a shallow heart. Now, the third type of ground. Look back with me if you would at verse seven. Here's what it says again. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it And choked it. Now sometimes when a farmer would plow, there would be roots of weeds and thorns down in the ground that he he couldn't see. And and if you planted a seed in that kind of soil, it would take a little while for you to realize that eventually that good seed that you planted is getting choked out. Because underneath the surface, unbeknownst to the the farmer, there were these these weeds and thorns down in the ground. This kind of soil was mostly found in the corners of the field where the plow couldn't reach. So again, on the surface, it looks good. It's not hard. It, it doesn't have rock underneath it. But lurking down below it is serious and deadly impurities. Now jump with me to verse 14. Here's what Jesus says about this soil. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares And riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Now I want you to notice what Jesus says chokes out the seed of the gospel here. Jesus says it's the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. Earlier we said that parables in one sense are these Stories that have hidden messages to lead us to a place to ask ourselves, Where do I find myself in this parable? And I would guess that of the first two soils or surfaces that we've talked about so far, it is likely because you're here this morning, it's not for sure, but because you're here hanging out, you're probably not in those first two categories. But this one, I think it would. Behoove us all this morning to be very honest about this particular challenge. Jesus uh, says in another one of his gospels in John 2, do not love the world, nor the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that's that's pretty stark. And what Jesus is saying there, what he's saying in, in, in Luke 8, verse 14, is the love of the world means that your primary longing, your primary desire, is to gratify yourself. Like you might have one little seed of truth in there, it's growing, but it's getting choked by the thorns of this world. To the point that it is on the verge of destroying this fragile life of the seed. This gospel seed in you. And ultimately what Jesus is saying here is it can't survive. Those two things cannot exist. You cannot serve two masters. Jesus is saying this kind of heart is a preoccupied heart. An absorbed heart. A distracted So if you take those three surfaces that Jesus talks about here and you really, you pull them together, you find that first thing that I wanted to invite you to see this morning, where the seed of the gospel doesn't grow. The seed of the gospel, friends listen, cannot grow, cannot grow in a resistant, insincere, and preoccupied heart. A resistant heart. Let's just talk about that for a moment. It's possible, friends, for you to be in contact with the message of the gospel regularly. You can come to church. You can recite the Apostles' Creed. You can take communion, which we're going to do here in just a moment. You can, you can be active and present in a small group. You can read a ton of Christian books. You can serve the needy. But unless the gospel has made a personal penetration in your own heart, It has not taken root. See, for some, this idea of being a Christian is really just a a theoretical idea. It may be for you. It's just sort of like, it's just a concept that you are assenting to. But here's the test for us all as we locate ourselves in this parable. Has there ever been a time... In your life where you are hearing the gospel proclaimed and it is thrilling you. It is amazing you, coming right at you personally. If not, it is possible and maybe even likely that you have not been listening to the word of God well. You have been listening to the word of God with a hard heart. Let's talk about the insincere heart. Maybe Jesus has changed your life, like there was a time that you were very excited about him, but troubles and suffering have come into your life, and you have turned your back on God, and you're angry with him because you think you deserve better. Now, some of you might be saying it out loud that that might be something that that uh, you're voicing, and there is something that can be good about that in one respect. If you're if you're saying, "Hey, I know I feel this way," you know, we we sometimes talk about the the need to lament better as a people. Yes, that's good, but only if part of the you know part of that is like we're we're wanting to move towards healing and and and, and regaining hope and free, all that. Some of you, this is what's going on inside of you, and no one knows about it. You're you're here this morning, but in your heart, you've turned against God. You want him to be your blesser. Jesus is saying to you that, that though you may have had some personal penetration of the gospel in your heart, when the heat has pressed in, it's revealed where your heart really was. That's the story, by the way, of those two young men that I was talking about earlier. But for, for those that are finding themselves located in the parable in this way, you're thinking this, that your primary problem is that you are a sufferer in need of a solution. When in fact, your real problem is that you are a sinner in need of a savior. Here's the, the test for, for you. Can you say this? I've been living my own life. Trying to be my own God, and now, God, I am gonna let you be my Savior and my God instead of me being my own Savior and God. If you can't say that, you may be listening to the Word of God. You are likely listening to the Word of God with an insincere heart. Let's talk about the preoccupied heart. This heart says, I have roots, I'm committed to Jesus but I'm committed to a lot of other things too. And those other things really are competition with your commitment to Jesus, if you're honest. So there's division in your heart. And as a result, your Christian life is feeling anxious. That's what Jesus means when he says that that the the thorns are choking the seed. That's why many of us are, are... are nervous and anxious and confused in our Christian walk. I think this is the story of many Christians in the West. We're, we're not happy, we're doubting, and we don't know why. And, and, and what Jesus is saying, it's because you are busy and distracted. And, and even though you know that you have thorns in your life, this is what's really sad to me, and this is true of my own heart. We're saying, I don't really want to do anything about it. Here's the test. Can you be honest that that sort of response, I can't do anything about it? Maybe you're saying, I just don't know what to do about it. Those two responses are actually very spiritually immature God may be calling you because you find yourself located in this particular part of the parable to re examine your life. To today, this morning, do some inventory to, to, to figure out what do I need to do to, to simplify my life, to detox from some things, to, to reset in, in some ways. Jesus' point in these first three surfaces is that the seed of the gospel cannot. Not may not, but cannot grow in a resistant, insincere, and preoccupied heart. Now, there is another kind of soil in our passage today. Look with me, if you would, at verse 8. Here's what it says again. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Now, this is the opposite of all of the soils we've talked about so far. It is not rocky. It is not compacted. It is not thorny. This would have been a farmer's dream. It's very receptive. And not only would it just sort of like take root, it would actually yield an amazing crop. That's what Jesus is saying here. And and this is the connection that he makes. Look at verse 15. And for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word... Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So what made this heart receptive? Such important adjectives here, right? An honest and good heart. So when the word goes out, when the gospel goes out, and that, by the way, doesn't just happen in this time of, of, of the proclamation of the gospel in a, in a worship gathering. This is one of, the, one of them, one of the main ways but in all the different contexts where Crosstown meets and discipleship happens and, 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 and mentoring and all the stuff that you guys do. When the gospel goes out in those places, is your response this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. That's the kind of soil that Jesus is talking about here. And then when the Spirit reveals conviction, when we pray that prayer, that's a prayer that that he wants to answer, by the way, we repent. We seek out help and accountability. We seek counsel, whatever enables you to walk out the word of God that he commands you to walk in. That's what it means to hold fast to the word with an honest and a good heart. There is a a sincerity. There is a, a seriousness about Your walk with the Lord. That's what a responsive heart looks like, a a tender heart, a sensitive heart. That's the type of soil that God desires to plant the seed of the gospel into. And it's the second thing that I want to invite you to see this morning. We said earlier, there is a soil, there is a scenario where the seed of the gospel can grow in your life. And it's this, the seed of the gospel grows in a responsive and repentant heart. In our story today, if you boil down it all to to one question, it's this Jesus is asking, Are you listening to me? Like, really? Have you heard me? In many of your Bibles, the heading for this section is entitled The Parable of the Sower. And that's okay, I mean, that fits. But I I think it would actually be better to be, be titled The Parable of the Soil because it actually shows us whether or not our hearts are really hearing Jesus and if the seed of the gospel is going deep in our hearts. I love how pastor and author John Piper says it. He says, it's not enough to have ears on the side of your head. Everybody has those. But there is another kind of ear that only some people have. And those can hear. There there is a spiritual ear or a heart ear that is beautiful. And it receives truth. and, and, And the power that these ears can hear are compelling and transforming and preserving. Now in our circles, particularly within Acts 29... Um, We do a really good job of making much of God's sovereignty. And we would, that's right, we should. Uh, We do a great job of of making much of his initiation in our salvation and our sanctification. We rightly recognize that, that in salvation and in sanctification, it is his work from beginning to end. So this passage might... Fall strangely on you if you have this attitude. Why does it matter what the soil of my heart looks like? If God is God and he can do whatever he wants. If God wants me to hear the gospel. If he wants to make me care about him. He'll make it happen. But that is a misunderstanding of how sanctification works. Yes, the actual transformation of our hearts is done by God and him alone. But friends... You and I play a role in that process. And our passage today does not let us get around that truth. One of the most helpful books uh, on sanctification I've ever read is a little book from author Tim Chester called You Can Change. And in it, he says that, yes, God is the author and perfecter of our sanctification. But he also says that you and I have a role to play in this as well. And this one word that he used to describe our role in in the book was a game changer for me as I thought about what what role I play, right? We're thinking about the soil of our hearts. What's the conditions for the soil of our heart? What role do I play in sanctification or, or hearing the word of God? And it was this, in the work of sanctification, you and I cooperate with God. You and I participate with the spirit in the work of sanctification that means this you and i make meaningful decisions along the way in sanctification we make decisions that matter and are consequential in sanctification i believe that is what luke is talking about in verse 8 of our passage today when he says he who has ears to hear let him hear piper Continues this idea by marrying the ideas of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, saying, hearing is a high calling. Yes, it does not come naturally. It is a gift, but it can be sought. Sought. Really, that's the big idea of our passes this morning. Jesus is asking us, are you listening to me? Do you hear me? He's reminding us that there is pursuit and intentionality in how we receive the gospel in our lives. Maybe you haven't thought of of hearing or listening, and I love how Piper says it, as a high calling. But it is, it is no small thing. And Jesus is saying in our passage this morning that there is a hearing, a listening that endures trial, it doesn't coddle the things of this world. And in the end, it bears a lot of fruit. The reason why Jesus wants the ears of our hearts in tune with him is actually found in a verse we didn't read earlier. So if you, look, if you would look with me back down uh, to Luke chapter 8, verse 18. And here's what Jesus says. Look there. Um, he says, Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Jesus is saying that if you have spiritual ears, you will be given understanding. What does that mean? He says you'll be bear fruit with perseverance. What, is, what does that mean? Friends, these are beautiful promises that, 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 that God uh, is saying to us, like, if you will hear me, if you will listen to me, If you will create the right conditions for a sensitive, tender heart to hear from me, you will get to know me more. Now, for some of you here this morning, you're like, that doesn't sound very exciting to me, Brad. You're saying that the benefit is that I get more of God? And I'm saying to you, yes. And the reason why God knows that what um, is the greatest benefit to us is because he knows better than us what we need. The message of our passage today is that things may come our way through the gospel or, or, or through the word of God that God intends to use as, as a humbling moment for us. And as we're receiving the word of the gospel and opening our, our, our ears to, to, to that message, God is saying, I'm going to give you something That maybe you don't even know. You don't appreciate at this point in your life. But that you need the most. And it's me. It's more of me. It's more understanding. Our passage today is saying that if you want to experience the joy and the freedom of the gospel in your life. Play your part. Have a tender heart. Open to the things of God. And you will be given more of him. Now there's one more thing we need to say this morning. We've used this phrase, the seed of the gospel, but you may be wondering, what exactly is that? I mean, Jesus is using the seed as a word picture, right, A, a metaphor in a sense. Why is that what God desires to plant in your heart? Well, when we say that, we are saying that there is something in particular that we are creating a soil for that thing to take root in, namely the gospel. The gospel is, is yes, a message. It's about the, 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 the true historical kind of what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection. But friends, the gospel is a person. When we have ears to hear the gospel in our lives, we are actually receiving the true and better seed, Jesus. In John 12 Jesus uses this imagery of a seed to describe himself to talk about his death. And he says that unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is describing what the seed of his death has produced. Just like a seed he became weak for us, he became a seed that goes into the ground and dies, but the secret of the gospel's power is that in Jesus' dying for you, becoming weak for you, you now have life. And that is not just a, a, a future reality like of our, our glorified life in all of eternity, but an abundant life now. Friends, when you see Jesus doing that for you, that power will come into your life. And that's a power that will change you if the conditions of your heart are right. Nothing else will change you like seeing the beauty of his weakness for you. His willingness to be the ultimate seed for you. Friend, I, I implore you this morning to take the beauty of his weakness into your life. Let it capture your imagination. Let it control your heart. This passage ends on a note of triumph. Triumph. Because even though three out of the four soils resisted the power of the word, the last one produced a fruit a hundredfold. That's supernatural. Like even in today's agriculture, nobody can do that. <laughs> but Jesus can. Jesus is saying, if you will let me and if you will listen to me, I will do something supernatural in your life. If you let him in, it's, it's something that you'll be like, man, I, I, this doesn't make sense in this natural realm that I live, with, live in, but it makes sense because I know Jesus. But you have to go to Jesus and say, I have thorns in my life. Jesus, take those thorns out of my, my life. I have rocks in my heart. Pull those rocks out, God. I will go back to your word. I will hear it. I will listen to it. I will reflect on it. I will diligently work out the implications of it in my life, and I'll obey it. I will give myself to it because I want to see the power of the kingdom come to me and through me to others. And here's what Jesus will say. Of course I'll do that. (laughs) Of course. I've been waiting for you to ask. I took your thorns on my brow. They buried me under a rock i've taken those things so that you could hear me. The kingdom of God comes by hearing. so take heed how you hear. will you listen? let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and even as I uh, preaching this morning, I realized this um, is a, a, a word of warning, really. But when you warn us, Lord, of, of, uh, of things, it's because you love us. And you love us enough to tell us the truth. So as we prepare our hearts to come to the table, I, I pray that we would all, including myself, Do the hard work of inventory in our own hearts and ask ourselves, where do we find ourselves located in this parable and that that would lead to conviction and repentance? The greatest gift that we can have, God, is you. We want more of you. Help us to play our part in that and pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.